0: Ladies and gentlemen, tonight, the reigning, defending, 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 undisputed, universal heavyweight champion.
1: Wildcat Radio 2.0, bear down, you beautiful people. What's up, everybody? This is Wildcat Radio 2.0. I'm Adam Green. He's Brett Berry. And I can promise you all this, we're not going to talk basketball today. All right, this is a pure football show, the season opener. We're actually recording two weeks before the season opener against San Diego State, which means football season is almost, almost here, Brett. This is kind of exciting.
2: I think I think technically we're at week minus 1 if you count the week 0 games not that Arizona's participating but it's it is upon us and I am excited.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean it's it's football, right? This is a time for optimism and you know, it's <laughs> It seems like the Jet Fish off-seasons, we never want them to end, in part because, well, we kind of worry about what happens in the regular season, but also because the off-seasons have been so damn fun. And even this camp, Brett, like we talked to Justin Spears last week, we're going to talk to Brian Peters from AZ Desert Swarm this week just about how things are going, what they're seeing with this team. And to a man, it seems like everybody's saying the talent level is so much better. This team is much better than it was last year, which makes you think, oh, wow, you know, this, this could be good. And then it's like, wait, we're, we're Arizona fans. What's going to go wrong? And over the last week or so, we can get some of the notes, but the biggest one that seemed to come out there and make their own is Jaden Delore missed a practice. And Jaden Cowing was out for a couple of practices. And everybody's like, wait, what's going on here? Why is the starting quarterback, you know, why is QB1 and the best receiver both transferred in two of the most high profile transfers not practicing? And it was, it was almost funny. Because some of like people's minds, Brett, were racing, or like, are they? Do they leave the program? Are they transferring? Are they? You know, just what's wrong? And it turns out like pretty much nothing. You know, Delora was back at practice. Cowing is back working on the side, so probably some sort of mild injury for Cowing and Delora. Who knows? But they're there, and it got me thinking just how Arizona fans are conditioned to expect the worst. Like this is football. Players get hurt. They miss a practice. But if it happens for Arizona, it's like the sky is falling. I mean, you thought it too. You years. know it. It's, you did.
2: It's, it's years and years of classical conditioning, where it, instead of the the dog the the, the bell ringing and you start to, the dog salivates, we hear optimism uh, in football and we start to panic. Right? <laughs> it's it's not unwarranted. If you're to be fair, but like um,
1: your your head went there. I'm not gonna lie. I thought to a second like, oh god, what what is the worst thing that could happen here, I right? Be like, Delore, everybody's like, well, he talked to the media the day before. He's had his best stretch of practices. Like, everything was on the up and up, and then he misses practice with no disclosure of what was wrong. And Cowling, of course, was good in the spring game, and he was good in their scrimmage, and then he's been great in camp, and then he's not practicing. He's like, wait, what's going on? And this is football. These are college kids. There can be so many things that are happening, and yet every Arizona fan is thinking, well, they left the program. We're screwed. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I mean, and it's it, it. We're we're somewhat past like y times, and you wouldn't talk about that if the kids had it. But they might sit out for a couple of days. There's so many things out there, and it's football, like you said. Like there's always going to be bumps and bruises, and I'm sure, uh, to some extent, you know, Jacob Cowing has looked so good in practice that the, the the coaching staff probably wants to wrap him in bubble wrap and be extra cautious when he's when when it's not essential. If yeah. he's If he's getting it, um, you know, it's I think it's a good thing for us to just. Occasionally take a breath and enjoy the ride a little bit. But the beauty is, Adam, uh, the, there's there's a bit more depth in some of these rooms as Drink. we've talked about. Uh, so even if somebody is out for a few snaps or a few days or if even a few games, uh, I think this is this is one of the reasons why we talk about the the good programs. You know, everybody can put out a starting lineup. The the good ones can have 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 a few starters go down and you still are competitive and win games. And that's hopefully where Arizona's on the path to. But We'll see, starting in a couple weeks. Well,
1: yeah, and kind of looking along those lines, I was, last season, Arizona didn't know what they had in a lot of these guys, right? There's a new coaching staff, where this year, like, you know what Jacob Cowan can do. Like, you want to get him integrated in your offense, learn your playbook, but he's a receiver. He's proven. You don't need to see him every day on the practice field. He's probably been working out with Delora on the side, too, trying to get that timing down, get that rapport going. And even Delora, like, you need him to learn the system, and yeah, from all, by all accounts, it was kind of a struggle at first, which isn't surprising, but it seems to have clicked. Everyone's talking about how all of a sudden he's looked like a different quarterback. He's looked like the guy that everybody thought Arizona was getting. So you add that, it's like, okay, are, do all these players need to be in practice every single one? Probably not, you know, especially the veterans. Now, if you're... Some of the younger guys that are trying to feel like, like Noah Fita is probably the QB2 right now, but he's battling for that spot. He needs to show something. The guys like AJ Jones, even T-Mac, who's a true freshman, who's going to start, but there are certain things that they need to show this coaching staff. Jake McCowing is not that guy. And this isn't the NFL where if someone misses time, they have to be like, okay, here's what's up. These are college kids. They don't have to tell you why they're hurt. You know, They don't have to tell you if they're hurt at all. They just don't have them out there. There's not games. So if this was two weeks from now, I'd be slightly more concerned, but you know, two and a half weeks, give or take, when this all went down before the season opener. After a couple of weeks of camp, you know, after these guys went through spring ball and everything, I'm not terribly concerned with them missing a practice. Now there are other guys who are injured, where right? like Traden Stokes has been missing time, and there's questions if he'll be back, and a few other players who haven't been practicing. Like yeah. You know, you'd like to see them get on the field. But again, when it's veterans, when it's proven players, guys who either were here last season and thus know the system or players who excelled at other programs and are at positions like receiver, just learn your routes and run it. I'm not too concerned about guys missing time. Now, that's not to say that, you know, like Davis Duvall came out that he's no longer with the team. Like, that can happen. But I was never really worried that it was like Jaden DeLore and Jake McCauley were in that group. And I wouldn't imagine there's too many other players at this point in time who are not going to be, you know, with the roster, with the team, two weeks
2: from now. Yeah, I think that's I think that's all all right. You know, there's some of the some of the guys that have been not practicing, like you mentioned. Stukes is all, honestly more concerning to me because it's clearly an injury that has mm-hmm. kept him out oh, yeah. for some time. And, but that's been reported as like an injury. Yeah, yeah. and I think Tia Saez has not practiced in a little while. Um, you know, Jalen John, but you know, again, in like the running back room jalen john's not able to go i i don't worry about it as a from a team perspective in a running back room tia savea you know certainly expected to be a contributor Mm -hmm. that gives me a little bit of pause same with stooks because there's talent in the in the cornerback room but you know there's there's three guys that are probably true you know truly ready and then then it's down to true freshmen that are probably next on the depth chart you know it's it's not time to panic and and honestly like you know we're we're coming up on the mock game this saturday and if if i'm if i'm jetfish if even if uh you know if jacob cowing is is close to 100% but not at 100% i maybe have him run a few plays just so people nope. see that he's he- healthy and then nope. pull
1: him no doesn't out matter and touch him yeah unless he cuz you don't need to see much from him i don't think now i'm not Jed Fish. I, I, so i'm not this yeah. coaching staff and you can't wrap these guys in bubble wrap for the next 2 weeks like they have to practice but there are certain things you do especially this is kind of like the dog days of of training camp you know like, you've been playing against each other for a couple of weeks. You've done the scrimmage. You have the mock game Saturday night. And it's like, at some point, like, okay, let's just get to the games again. Now, you don't have the NFL preseason, which some players can use for that, of course. And even Arizona's preseason, quote, their non conference schedule is pretty brutal. So they don't get that soft opening to the campaign. But, yeah, I'm not I, – I don't think Jacob Cowley needs to – prove anything as long as he knows the plays he's got that rapport with Delore I mean obviously you'd like him to have some practice under his belt especially two weeks from now leading up to the San Diego State game but no if he's not even close to 100 percent I'm not putting him out there I don't need to see anything I don't need to prove anything like Jaden Delore I would only consider because he's the quarterback and he needs to keep that timing keep just you can't ever learn the playbook too much right he needs to learn the offense as best he can but Jacob Cowing, nah. Even trade in Stukes, like, just get him healthy. Isaiah Rutherford, get him healthy. Jalen John, get him healthy. These are guys who know this system, know this coach, – the coaching staff knows them. I don't think there's as much – pressure i don't think there's as much urgency
2: to get them on their practice field at this point I'd, i let me rephrase that i'd say put them out there for the warm-up drills so people can see that <laughs> nope they're not not even that No, nope. <laughs> leave that. him in the locker room it's
1: a nice revamped locker room leave them there he'll be happy
2: <laughs> leave him in the in an ice bath <laughs> <laughs> in the locker room uh, but it's it's I, i'm actually pretty curious to see what happens with this uh the the mock game this saturday because I, I i from what i understand it's going to be uh, trying to recreate a game environment complete with, like, play-by-play announcing and uh, oh, yeah, as, PA as
1: announcing off. music and everything, yeah. And, and, and complete with a lack of fans in the stands. <laughs> I was going to say, it might be a normal home crowd like when Wazoo <laughs> comes to town or something. But uh, it's a good idea. I, mean, I, I don't remember if Arizona's done stuff like this before. I imagine they have. It probably just hasn't been as publicized. And kind of like the scrimmage last weekend, it's like, oh, just kind of exciting, right? Like, let's, let's see these guys look at it. it's, it's still football practice. They're still doing certain things and trying to expose these guys. And that's actually one of the neat things about this team is they're relying on so many freshmen who – have looked pretty good in camp, especially the ones that they're supposed to be counting in, like Big Jonah has looked good, T-Mac has looked good, we're starting to hear more reports, like Kevin Green Jr. is looking very good, A.J. Jones is making plays, you know, we haven't heard as much on the defensive side, but that's because there's a lot, I think there's more established guys over there, you know, like Deuce Davis, we've heard a lot about him, you know, coming in there and making some plays, but to get some of these guys a chance to play again in Arizona Stadium, under the lights, so to speak. Although I think it's like 630 or something like that. So I don't know if it'll be dark, you know, the weather we'll see, but you know, just kind of get them exposed to what it is going to be. Like that's going to be, they can't recreate what it's going to be like at San Diego state in a couple of weeks, opening up their brand new stadium and playing on the road. You can't recreate that. But it's to give these guys a different look, you know? And then of course, yeah. in a couple of weeks they get into game week prep. So like, it's not a bad idea. It's interesting. Obviously I, I think, is there much more you think we can learn from camp at this point? Like, in terms of, like, I mean, they've been doing this for a couple of weeks, so most of them had spring ball, too. Like, is there anything else? Are there position battles we're really focusing on right
2: now? Not not necessarily in my mind, but I think it's it's more the stuff on the – the battles are more on the periphery of, like, who's going to be the return guys, right? Yeah. And like, who can step up into that that, you know – speaking of wrapping Jacob Cowing and bubble wrap, like, I don't know if I want him back there returning punts. I don't it, think he, he needs to. But he might be, um, or I mean, I think the more intriguing one, and we can talk about this later in our our position a depth chart preview. Uh, but like, I think that like a kickoff returner is going to be an interesting spot. Like, is that Speedy Luke? Is that somebody else? Is there like a Simpson Green? And, yeah, there's yeah, there's there's some intriguing guys that otherwise may not see the field, but that'll be an interesting way to get there. But other than that, you know, I mean, I think I think the depth chart's mostly established. I think you know, the most intriguing thing is like who's going to be the Seven, eight, seven, eight, nine on the O line depth chart because so I think it's very clear who six is with JT, JT Hand, right? Hey, hey, hey! We're doing offensive line later in the show. Ah, fair. I I shouldn't. What get are you it doing?
1: Myself. You don't do a tease by telling them what's happening. <laughs> <laughs> well,
2: I just give the people what they want, Adam. <laughs> but okay. yeah, I think
1: that's the beauty of camp. And I like for it's not like Arizona's an established program, right? It's not a team that was any good last year. They won a game last year. They've won out of their last twenty-four, but. It seems like going into this season, for better or worse, at this point, most positions are settled. There's going to be some movement because like they have so many receivers, who's going to get the snaps one day? You know, running back room. I mean, we're hearing DJ Williams is doing a lot. Might, might be the favorite to be the leader in carries for them. But like, there's going to be some fluidity to that. Of course, defensive line rotations. You know, but in terms of specifics, like these guys are going to play. It seems like most of those things are settled, which is good. Because then in the last couple of weeks of camp, you get to kind of, you know, dot the I's and cross the T's. You can sit players out if you need to and get looks at other guys. You know, if Jacob Cowing doesn't play great, get Joyner on the field more. You know, get Anthony Simpson more reps, get Kevin Green Jr. more reps. Like, get them that experience and see how that shakes out because you know your top three guys, your top four guys. So I think that's a place for this coaching staff. In theory, it should have them more ready to go and be ready in week one because you know, they're not figuring stuff out. Like I mean, even last year, they were trying to figure who the quarterback was. I don't think they decided until like a week before the game. You know, like all signs are pointing to Gunnar Cruz, but it wasn't like he just like, yep, that's the guy. You know, it's different this year. They have players like, yep, that guy's going to play there. That guy's going to play there. He's going to get the most of the snaps there, and it allows you to kind of just, you know, I guess smooth down the edges a little bit, kind of make it so we're like, okay, take that little step from you know, okay, figuring it out to making it good, and that's what they could do the next couple of weeks.
2: Yeah, I, I think that's right. And then the other thing that goes without saying is keep everybody as healthy as possible. Or especially or get,
1: Jacob Cowing, don't even leave him. Leave him at home. Doesn't <laughs> have to go to the locker room. You know,
2: <laughs> don't bother covering the stadium.
1: Just sit at home and play Madden or something. You know, that just came out. So.
2: <laughs> yeah, just Cowing, go deep. No, keep going. I'll tell you when you get home, and then then stay there.
1: <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> but you know, that's the spring game. Not spring game. This not even a scrimmage. It's the mock game. That's tonight. We're recording this on Saturday morning, actually, bright and early, because we want to get this Wildcat Radio 2.0 episode out to y'all. But let's take a break, Brett. When we come back, we're going to talk to Brian Peterson from AZ Desert Storm. He's going to give us his take on what he's seen from camp thus far. Welcome back. It's Wildcat Radio 2.0, and we are joined by Brian Peterson of azdesertswarm.com. Brian, thanks for coming on the show this week.
0: Thanks for having me, guys.
1: Yeah, of course, and one of the things we're trying to do is bring people on who are covering the Wildcats in camp, right? Because, like, we read all your articles. Remember, it's like, okay, the people who are there. Last week, we talked to Justin Spears from the Arizona Daily Star, and he basically said one of the biggest differences in this year's team is just there's a bunch of dudes, right? Just, like, you look at the players on the field, and are like, wow, these guys can play. What has been your takeaway from the last few weeks of year two of the Jed Fish era compared to year one?
0: Well, the, the eye test, definitely, um, the, Arizona's passing it compared to last year, where you could just kind of tell that this team didn't really have it. It had guys, but not dudes. Um, Or maybe put it this way, it had guys that maybe looked like they looked the part, but actually didn't once they played, whereas now it it, it doesn't look like it's just, okay, that guy's tall or that guy's heavy, you know, large. These ones actually do it when they're, they're practicing.
2: Yeah, you mentioned uh, that they're the you're they're seeing you're seeing it in the passing game a little bit, Brian. Uh, I think that's one thing I'm most excited to see: the potential of Jed Fish's offense unlocked with those dudes uh, in the quarterback room and in the receiving room, especially. Uh, what are you seeing on the field every day that might actually see Arizona do passing plays that are different than a bubble screen to Stanley Berry Hill clone every third play? <laughs>
0: Well, there's just so many options now, or more options than there were a year ago. But first, start at the quarterback. I mean, with Jaden DeLora, you have somebody that has already proven that they can perform in the Pac-12 and did it well. I mean, he was the Pac-12 freshman offensive player of the year last year, uh, tore apart Arizona, and did very well against other teams last year. And he just he showed that um, he can make those throws. He didn't look great the first half of camp and then something clicked about a week ago in a walkthrough and since then he's looked great in practice he looked very good in the scrimmage last week Uh, there's no fear there's no uh, you know hesitancy when uh, should I make that throw should I not make that throw I mean whether that will translate into the games I don't know but he's already shown that he can do that in in a college game and it does help that he has great weapons around him. I mean, we'll start with Jacob Cowing, the, the transfer from UTEP, who is going to be one of those guys that he'll be the Stanley Berryhill in that if they need to make a play, they're going to probably go, go to him because he's able to get open. He can do a bunch of different things. But that's an option rather than the nine times out of ten kind of guy because you've got T-Mac, t McMillan, the highest-rated recruit in school history who has shown that he can go up and get pretty much any ball he's spent almost the entire camp going up against christian roland wallace which will only help him in the long run but then you have beyond him you have two other freshmen in aj jones and kevin green jr who have both also shown great strides in what they can do um, and they should be able to contribute in some capacity right away kian burnett the tight end, who basically plays like a larger receiver, is there as well. All the running backs can catch the ball out of the backfield, and you're going to see them doing that a lot, whether they they uh, swing them out or they, they line them up wide, put them in the slot, something like that. Uh, they just have so many options now that it, it's not a who are they going to throw the ball to, it's which one are they going to throw the ball to.
2: Right. One of the things that back at Washington State and we've seen reports in practice that Jaden Delora's is uh, best at is, you know, when he splashed from the pocket uh, and, and making plays on the run that are kind of on broken plays. So can you talk to me about how bad Arizona's O-line has looked and how that's actually going to be a benefit for Jaden Delora?
0: It hasn't looked horrible. It just it's not any better than it was last year. Um, it's not worse. It, it it could be slightly better, I guess, because the guard play is probably going to be a little bit stronger with Jonas Sabanoynea, the uh, the big freshman playing at right guard. Um, it, it's a it's a solid line, nothing spectacular. Problem is, there's not really any depth to it. We we don't know who the sixth, the seventh, eighth, ninth guys would be. They pretty much have like a a good six there, but when it comes to Dolores' ability to improvise and things to that effect. I think where you're going to see it the most is they're going to try to either roll him out away from the line or get the ability where the, if he drops back enough, he has that opening in the middle to be able to kind of slip through. They're also working a lot on play action and you may see some play action where they fake to the running back and then roll out to create that, that opening, that, that space for Delora to be able to see what he can see down the field. Cause if there is one uh, flaw for Arizona's quarterbacks, whether it be him or uh, the most likely backup, Noah at the freshman, is that they're not tall. So they need to kind of be able to get themselves to where they can see the field. And just like a straight drop back with the line blocking right there, that maybe not is the best option
1: for them. You know, you mentioned that too about the height with the quarterbacks, and it makes me think about the Jed Fish offense, where it's this pro model, yet professional quarterbacks are usually taller than this. So he's adapting to it. And I'm wondering, with this season, with this roster, with the increase in talent in the quarterback room and the receiver room and the running back room, if we're seeing a different maybe scheme or a different usage of this offense? Because like what we saw last year, hopefully isn't what Jetfish wants to do game in and game out. What differences are you seeing in terms of just like the talent levels upgraded are, you know, is higher, therefore the coaching, the play calling, the types of things they're trying to do on the field are that much better, that much more, I guess, difficult to accomplish, yet now they have the talent to do so.
0: I think you'll see them do a little bit more out of the shotgun um, to, uh, especially when if they are for certain going to be passing the ball, Uh, the the play action needs to work better out of uh, the uh, under center unless you're doing like a pistol type formation Um, but I would see them having the quarterback back off the line a little bit more when it's a distinct passing situation um, when they're not trying to use any sort of deception or whatnot. but the the height thing it, it could be an issue if it actually thinks they're getting batted down and all that but um, we've seen that a little bit with Fafita, but not so much with DeLora, that um he he can kinda see the lanes and avoid the the hands and and throw over it rather than you know, he's not like he's he's six foot but he's he's not throwing like line like Bernie Kozar's sidearm line drives. He's he's getting lost on the ball.
1: But in terms of just like the talent they have, I imagine Jed Fish's play calling will be different too from what we saw last season, it's because he can look and say, I have a Jaden Delora at quarterback. I have a McMillan. I have a Jacob Cowie. Yeah. I have these stable of running backs. Like It's going to be a different offense, I would assume. Are you guys picking up on that?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's that there's he He feels more confidence, I'm sure, in being able to. If this is the play we called, the guy's going to be in the right spot and if uh, for the for Delora to make the throw or if it's covered well, Delora is going to be able to quickly go through the progressions. Like the thing we saw like with um gunner cruise last year he was so hesitant and he would never make the throw and then it would just be too late and then then you had will plumber who was more of a gunslinger but he would take too many risks and there would be there, so much hesitation with all the quarterbacks and we haven't really seen that there and it comes it does speak to the fact that he has these options and and that if he wants to throw it to, you know, he could throw it to Cowing, throw it to McMillan, a couple other guys where it's not a, oh, I hope this play works. It's this play is going to work.
2: Yeah. Switching to the other side of the ball, Brian, I know there's a lot of uh, discussion about the new scheme with a new defensive coordinator. Uh, and we've talked a bit about this on the pod, but, you know, we're a ways into camp now. And, I, you know, you're out there for a lot of these practices, if not all of them. I'm curious to to know, are there players that have surprised you on the defensive side of the ball, either the pleasant surprises or the ones that are maybe uh, a little bit of a disappointment so far in camp?
0: The most surprising player uh, from a positive standpoint is Russell Davis II, one of the true freshman defensive ends. He's going to play, and he may play right away. It's going to be hard to keep him off the field, despite the fact that he's undersized. He's only about 215 pounds, which is maybe – 15, 20, 25 pounds less than you want from a defensive end. But he's just showing that he can make the plays. He's fast. He's got good lateral speed. He's got good instincts to where he's going to need to be involved. He might not start, but a lot of the packages that they'll do, uh, they were working on a dime package today where they would have only one linebacker on the field and six defensive backs, and he was one of the four on the the, uh, defensive line kind of hovering almost like a spy and he's he's really just shown that he has to be out there and, and above like the freshmen that on the defensive side that they brought in he's probably the first and foremost that's going to be seeing playing time i've also been uh, really impressed with hunter eccles the transfer from usc he kind of gives arizona like a real a, a real true hybrid linebacker defensive end like edge rusher not a uh, a defensive end who rushes the passer which is what Jalen Harris is—he's—he's he's looked good. This has been a, a very good camp for him. In now his sixth year of college, and he's gotten a lot bigger. But he is a true defensive end rather than a one of those guys that can uh, fall back and play in coverage. And that's what Arizona needs in this kind of system. In Johnny Nance's scheme, is somebody who can do multiple things. The secondary is pretty much a lot of the same guys from last year. The—the the concern there is. Um, whether or not they're going to stay healthy. Uh, Trey Downs-Dukes has missed a a bunch of time with some sort of a right leg injury. Um, Whether he'll be ready for San Diego State, don't know yet. I mean, he he hasn't practiced in at least a week, if not longer. Um, The linebackers are still kind of – we don't know who is going to be in those positions. Uh, Generally, there's only going to be two on the field at a time. And, um, Jerry Roberts is the one certainty in that. And he, he does not look like a guy who broke his leg in November last year. He's looked very, very good. The offense, the, excuse me, the defensive line, um, they're probably going to play a ton of guys. And, um, the ones that you'll see the most would be Keon bars. Um, as long as he can stay healthy, he's coming off foot surgery, uh, from that group, a guy that's, that's really been impressive is Paris Shand. Uh, he's a third-year sophomore, I think is what it is. He's from Canada. He didn't start playing football until he was in 11th grade. And he, he can play all three defensive line positions and can play them all well. He's long. He's like 6'5". Um, and I think he's going to be – he could have a real breakout here.
1: You were talking to Brian Peterson, azdesertstorm.com, And one thing I'm kind of curious about, too, is last season – there was, I guess, optimism around the team, not because I was like, oh, they're going to be good, but because it was the fresh start, you know, a new coaching staff, new energy. And I'm curious, this year there's all these glowing reports Like you just went through, talk about the offense, all the weapons they have, the defense. You're like, yeah, they're pretty set at this spot. They got good linebackers, good defensive linemen, good secondary if they can stay healthy. What's the vibe like with this team? Does it look like a team where they feel like a team that believes it's going to win games? Not that, okay, they can compete, but do they think that, hey, they can go out there and win games, you know, non-conference, tough schedule, and then go to the Pac-12 play?
0: Oh, sure, sure. But, I mean, you should hope that that's the vibe at any team, whether it's a team that was had lost a team in a row or whatever it was before, 11 in a row going into last season, or one uh, that only won one game last year. There's just there's more guys and there's so many new people that they don't have any of they weren't part of the past teams so they they can't really uh, have that tempered expectations they truly do believe that, that that they're going to to be good this year and nothing uh, they they haven't had anything that's caused them to to think otherwise um, Arizona's the start of Arizona's season is so uncertain because of who they're playing they don't have the luxury of having like one of those oh let's just build up and play some some weak competition so that we can feel good about ourselves. Arizona's got one of the toughest non-conference schedules in the country and Arizona could easily start 0-3 and look a lot better but still be 0-3 and you know it depends on perspective wise whether that, that they're better or not. If you judge it straight off of the record, that may be a difficult thing to,
1: to use. I say we're just about two weeks away from the season opener against San Diego State, and how much that, I know, Jed Fish has talked about recruiting guys who came from winning programs, you know, players mm-hmm. who sort of like the Servite kids, right? Like guys who in high school they won a lot, so they expect to win. They don't have to learn. I think last year even Fish said times that they have to learn how to win games. They like have to learn that they can mm-hmm. win these games. These guys come into campus. A lot of these players. They're like, yeah, they expect to win. Is that kind of, that expectation, that confidence permeated throughout the roster where it's like they believe, yeah, like, yeah, we not going to compete, but like we're going to win these games. We are a good football team.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, they these were all stars on successful teams, power programs, that made it to the playoffs, went deep, might have won championships, things like that, And they've, but they also faced tough competition. They weren't like going 15-0 against horrible teams. Um, I mean, the, the survey kits are a good example. Um, they lost badly one time during the regular season last year to another big program in Southern California. And they learned from that and then beat them in the playoffs along the way and kind of built from that. So they they got to it at least a tiny bit feel what it was like to get punched in the mouth and learn from it. And the college game is going to be so much more different. I mean, arizona could win this first game against san diego state going away they could they could get blown out most likely what's going to happen is it's going to be a a lot like the games of most of the games last year where it's going to be a one score game late and it's just a matter of whether or not this team has the ability to not make that key mistake or to actually make that key play and the confidence that they've shown in camp indicates that they can do that but it It's all just going to come down to how it goes against that opponent.
2: So, Brian, uh, thanks for joining us. We really appreciate your perspective. Um, What does – a two-part question for you. One, what does a successful Arizona season look like this year? And the second part is Arizona will exceed that successful expectation because of blank.
0: Uh, I really think four wins would be a very successful season considering where this program came from and um, just how it was last year and before. Um, and to be able to win four games like that um, with so many new players and having to rely on a lot of young players can, it can be a great springboard for the future because the vast majority of the guys they are going to play this year, they're going to have for 2023 – if not longer, so it can be a, a very nice bridge. For them to exceed that, um, <clears throat> I guess it's just going to come down to building momentum. And, I mean, last year they finally got that win against Cal, but then the next game after that was a was one of their toughest games, playing Utah. And they actually played them really tough, but they, they wore down. Early in the season they could never build any momentum because – they, they showed some flashes against BYU, but then took a huge step back by um, getting blown out by San Diego State and then losing to NAU. Okay, well, then they kind of bounced back a little bit, looked decent for three quarters against Oregon, and fell apart at the end, got closer with UCLA, but then injuries and all that, it's, it's like nothing could ever build any momentum, so they could lose a game, but look better and then kind of build off and learn from their mistakes. I think that's the way they would exceed expectations is actually be able to kind of build some momentum.
1: Yeah. Hopefully they can do that without the losses, right? (laughs) Like there's a lot of optimism around this time of year. And it seems like with good reason, um, the talent level certainly has been upgraded and then we'll see, what the coaching staff can do with that. But Brian Peterson, AZ Desert Storm. We can find him on Twitter, at RealBJP. Brian, anything that people should be looking for on AZ Desert Storm or anything that you got coming out in the next few days that our listeners are going to want to check out?
0: Well, I'll be at the, the mock game on Saturday night, the, uh, the final scrimmage of the camp portion of the preseason. Um, then after that, since our access will not be the same as it was before, I'm going to try to put together some technical features as far as what could be different about the way things look. And one of those I met, made some mention is the, the play action and what it's going to take for, for play action to work well, because they were not good in play action last year. It, it takes being able to have, first you have to have some ability to run so that they actually care about when you're tra- faking the run, but then you have to fake it. Well, quarterback has to sell it well. And, and all the receivers have to, be able to not look like they uh, they have to look like they're a guy that is just blocking for a run play and then oh here we go so it, it, it's it's a lot of faking and a lot of misdirection and um whether they can do that i mean the play action is is something that is could be a great equalizer when facing a, a good defense i right,
1: definitely look forward to catching that one brian peterson az desert swarm thanks for joining us on wildcat radio 2.0 thanks for having me guys All right, and we come back more depth chart talk Welcome back. Thanks again to Brian Peterson from AZ Desert Storm for providing us with that insight because Brett, like again, we follow this team but we're reading Brian's stuff. You <laughs> know, we're reading the people who are coming this team and what really stood out to me was the consistency because we had Justin Spears last week, talked to Brian just now and everyone looks at this team and says, "Yeah, they're they're better." And it's not that oh, yeah, well, they have to be better, you know, it's another year in the system. It's like, no, these players are clearly more talented. They have not only the size, but the speed, the athleticism. They're picking up the offensive, doing everything
2: that you say. Yeah, good teams
1: have guys like that.
2: Yeah, what is it? it's something like some insane number like 47 or something like that, new guys on the roster that weren't there last year at this time uh, on a, what, 100-plus-man roster with 85 scholarship players. That's a lot. Uh,
1: it's, but it's not it's, turnover just for turnover's sake.
2: Yeah, it's it's a it's a fundamentally different team um, than than the one we've seen the last couple of years. Uh, is and and it's it's very encouraging to see that there is that consistency that everybody's saying, hey, they look like they have some dudes, you know. I remember, I mean, I've talked about it before. Like, I remember a few years back, I got to do the Wildcat Walk. I won the little. Oh, really? Thing.
1: You've never brought that up before. I know. Well, I'll, I'll it's show a shame you there's no photos of this. I know. Or, I'll show you that photo. Again. Oh, there is a photo. Wow, I've pro- <laughs> I've never seen such photo. I wonder what it looks like. But it,
2: I, the the thing that I. Uh, Aside from having a great time doing it, uh, the other thing I remember most was, oh my goodness, I am so much bigger than most of this D one football team. (laughs) And like you're (laughs) not like a you're you're tall, but you're not like abnormally large. No, like there was like two linemen that were actually like, I was like, oh, that's a D one lineman. And then the guy who surprised me because he was still young at the time was uh, Demetrius Flanagan Fowles as a safety was like closer to my size and if like those if that's the only thing that stuck out from a size perspective of the guys coming off the bus i that was that was when my heart sank and it said oh we're not winning a lot of games for a little while (laughs) well
1: that was wasn't that richard's thing like this guy looks good getting off the bus so they have him go first it's like when you have like one player who's like that you're like oh wait a minute
2: (laughs) (laughs) that's not great also the, the jarring nature of that one one guy to the next biggest guy when it drops off that steeply. <laughs> yeah. The slope of that line was not great. It's, no, it's,
1: no. And it's, and it's part of like what they had to reco- I'm sorry, recover. I don't say recover because Rich Rodriguez won a lot of games with Arizona, but his style, what he was doing, whether he had given up on recruiting to a degree or just the type of players he was okay with kind of set the roster back in terms of if you're trying to have like a more of a pro style type of team. And Kevin Sumlin, to his credit, brought in more size. He was starting to recruit more yep. in a way that is what Arizona is trying to do. And some of the players, like Paris Shand, his name's come up quite a bit. That's a Kevin Sumlin recruit. Right, there's some of these guys who they're relying on who were Sumlin players, the offensive line. you know, A lot of these guys came over for Kevin Sumlin. Now, have they been great? Not necessarily, but they're serviceable, especially now as they're juniors, seniors, 50-year guys. But just Arizona has more of those, and not only just the size, but the talent that comes with it. You know, this isn't trying to find diamonds in the rough in Texas, which obviously some Texas three stars are going to be really good. You know, even two stars we've seen that can be really good. But I'd rather have more four stars. I'd rather have more high three stars. You know, not because they're guaranteed to pan out, but the odds of them being serviceable, being productive, are higher. They're greater. You know, and that's what Jed Fish, at least in his first recruiting cycles, been able to do is get more of those guys who they look the part just physically, and then you see them on the field like they're looking the part there too.
2: Yeah, and I think I think we talked about it on this show during those recruiting classes for Kevin Sumlin where it's like, hey, you, you like the direction that you're going. They may not – some of them – I think we talked about Parishan being a, a yeah. lotto ticket, right? And yeah, like, hey,
1: great size. There seems to be talent there and potential, but can it be realized?
2: And and I think we've seen that come through with, uh, you know, especially, you know, where the size matters the most is along the lines, mm-hmm. Right the opposite of a defensive line, like if you're undersized there, uh, like what was the defensive tackle that Richrod had that God bless him was the, you know, 250 pound nose tackle that oh. I, am he was from, he's from the Scottsdale area too. I'm blanking on his name, but like, love the kid, but like if he's your starting nose tackle, yeah, you're gonna, you're gonna, no matter how much heart the guy has, you know, there's a reason Rudy Rudiger didn't get a scholarship to Notre Dame. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, he almost got his whole team to quit. <laughs> that's that's tension in the locker room <laughs> yeah not a good locker
1: room presence if everybody's going to quit for him like it's kind of a mutiny but also like yeah authoritarian like they all follow him <laughs> he, i don't know he, whatever
2: <laughs> let's, let's let's get away from that little sidetrack <laughs> <laughs> were you thinking of finton
1: Connolly, by the way
2: yeah i yes I, uh no no it wasn't finton Connolly. he's actually he was solid game. He was a bigger. He was. It's somebody. I'm blanking on his name. Is is this? He's smaller than Finton Connolly. Um, I think Finton Connolly was a, a, a scholarship player, actually. Um, but regardless, Adam, you need more size along the lines. How about that for a segue? <laughs> yeah, you,
1: you do need size along the. Hey, you know what, Brett? Speaking of lines, let's continue our position breakdown, our depth chart preview. Let's start with the offensive line. Wow, what? What are the odds?
2: I, I, when you said speaking of lines, I thought you were going to make a mistake and go back to Alex lines and go back to the tight ends and be like, we already talked about that, Matt. <laughs> I could have, but I did not. I'm a professional
1: on this podcast here. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> so, Brett, one of the things even Brian mentioned, too, the offensive line, where it's like it's mostly the same as it was last season. You know, other than Big Jonah who's going to be a starting left guard as a true freshman. Like Jordan Morgan is slated to start at left tackle. Josh Baker takes over at center, but he's been with the program. Josh Donovan, right guard, and Peyton Fears at right tackle. And it's not necessarily inspiring, just because like they weren't great last season, but I keep I go back to the idea that, one, with offensive line, experience matters. Mm-hmm. You know, like These guys have played these snaps, and experience and continuity can make up for a lot of shortcomings in talent. But also, with better quarterback play and receivers can get open quicker, the offensive line will probably look a lot better.
2: No, I th- I think that's right. And it's it's the, mostly the same line coming back, but there's also guys like Jordan Morgan that clearly were playing hurt mm-hmm. last year. That, like, how much, you know, especially at a tackle spot, if you have a high ankle sprain that you lose some foot quickness, that's a bad spot to, you know, not be able to react quickly to to speed rushers, right? Yeah. Um, And, like, you know, going into last year, I think all of us feared Peyton Fears blocking a speed rusher on the edge and bluntly he was probably the most consistent lineman last year yeah. like you know he wasn't you know challenging for you know any Pac12 all Pac12 consideration but he was not the biggest problem on the o-line he was uh, i don't think he was you would say he was a strength but you know with that experience with them playing together and able to communicate You know effectively and throw in big Jonah who's gonna be a true freshman but seems like you know a physical freak and even like an emotional maturity freak for a guy who's a freshman in in college that seems to just get it and is already like a leader in the locker room you know your 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 first five. I feel like is serviceable with the potential to be one of those lines. From the like, remember a couple of years ago. Granted, Arizona had really good O line coaches, like with like with Mihalczyk and, and uh, I'm blanking on the other one. Um, was it Gilbert that really got a lot out of you know a bunch of no name guys on the line, right? Well, but to that
1: end, the offensive line is one of those positions too, where unless you're pro football focused and really watching every single play, knowing the assignments and everything, it's hard to tell. Like we judge a line by how does the running game look. Can they throw the ball? And you look at that. Well, sometimes it's the running back doesn't see the hole or there's not good enough to hit it or the quarterback doesn't get rid of the ball with like, Hey, there's a guy open, doesn't throw the ball. And then he gets sacked or then he gets pressure. Like, Oh, the offensive line must not be good. And that's where I wonder too, just how much of the offensive line struggles, especially last season could be attributed to just poor play around them. Like, you know, like, there's really good offensive linemen. They exist. They just maul people. You know, like that, that happens. Yeah. But most offensive lines are not filled with those types of players. They're filled with guys who do just enough, who do their assignments, you know, block the guy that's supposed to block, and then they rely on everyone else to do their jobs. They rely on that receiver to get open on that slant route or on that curl or get past his defender and the quarterback to get rid of the ball. Because like when you have a Khalil Tate, was the offensive line any good? Or was it just Khalil Tate was so good at making guys miss getting to the field? And no one said, oh, the offensive line is bad as Khalil Tate's running you know, for 130 yards a game. And J.J. Taylor is picking up 142. It was never like, oh, the offensive line is so good. It was just like, yeah, they're there. Like they did their job. But if you'd have, you would know, have Gunnar Cruz who holds onto the ball too long, and Brian mentioned that too, he was indecisive. If you have Will Plummer, who is inaccurate. If you have Jordan McLeod, who can't throw the ball down the field. And you have running backs who are fine. But not the types you can make everybody miss. Then the offensive line looks worse. Then we say, "Oh, the offensive line's not doing good." When no. who knows? Maybe it was a quarterback who didn't get rid of the ball.
2: You know. I mean, I think to your point, I feel like if I think back two years, I remember two, three years ago, there was a lot of times where Arizona's quarterbacks didn't have time to do a three-step drop, and uh, somebody was on them. Right. Oh, that can happen. Yeah. And uh, but like, even thinking back to last year, they won one game. I don't recall that. Happening at a frequency that it was a couple of years ago when the O line was just plain, you know, atrocious. Last year, I think they were not great, but at least like you know, if you if you watch the 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 all twenty two things and you see like and you know, we've been to a number of games. I went to most of the home games last year. There's times where there was just literally no one, and even watching the like the road games, like BYU. I remember that there was some highlights where it's just like they're showing that the the, re, the recaps of sack plays and like, where, where are you going to go? You're just going to throw the ball up and hope your receiver gets it. And, yeah. you know, the, diff- the difference between last year's roster and this year's roster in the receiver room, if you had a T-Mac out there or a Jacob Cowing, you probably can just throw it up there. Do the, do the, do the Johnny Manziel to uh, Mike Evans, which is what they used to do back in the day during the, when, when Manziel was getting the Heisman that, you know, that was <laughs> Mike Evans used to just go out, jump guys. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it's. I'm curious to see how they perform. Um, you know, how much is Jonah going to be? Just um, he might. His he, he has the best chance to be a mauler in the run game, right?
1: Oh, to be a star. Although uh, Jordan Morgan's been getting NFL buzz a little bit because he's got the size. Obviously, he has the pair. He's talented. He just hasn't put it together. But like him and Jonah, like that left side of the line can be very devastating if they play to their potential.
2: Yeah, yeah, and I mean the the the, the other thing I like is. Josh Baker, and JT hand, the the people that make the calls are probably two of your best, most consistent linemen Mm -hmm. at, at the center position. And I think both of them can also slide over and play guard, uh, if in a pinch, if needed. Um, I mean, I'm pretty sure JT Hand ended up playing left tackle at one point <laughs> against Cal. On the Cal game? <laughs> yeah. And I think Josh Baker was playing guard and your third string center was playing, playing at center. And a lot
1: of these guys played some. Leaf Magnuson, too, who's got good size. A lot of these players, like, it wasn't great last season, but getting those snaps was valuable. You know, and also just yeah. a year older, a year stronger, a year more into college football for some of these guys. So, like, I think so. We agree that the starting line, like, the starting offensive line, as it's set, not, not, like going, wow, they're gonna just maul everyone. But like, okay, like that should be serviceable. That should be pretty solid, at least good enough if the skilled guys do their jobs, right? Can we agree on that? Yeah,
2: I think I think so.
1: Okay, now the backups to the depth there, which <laughs> you know, your favorite word, but it's been a problem in the past couple of years too, because we talk about Jordan Morgan wasn't healthy last season. You know, when that Cal game, when everybody seemed to get hurt. Like, I do feel better. You know, Leaf Magnuson, JT Hand, Grayson Stovall a freshman. You know, Langy uh, another transfer, Borge, and like, there's guys. You're like, okay. There's more talent in that room. Do I want any of those guys to be the starters? At this point, I hope not. You know, if, your line, if the line can stay together, healthy all season long, that's going to be huge. But I do feel better about the players behind them.
2: See, I, I will challenge that in one respect: the the position where I feel there is the most frightening lack of depth is at is at the tackle spot on the O line. Oh yeah, like, that's if, the
1: toughest if, one to find too. If
2: if one of, if Morgan or Fears goes down, like I. I I think it's probably Borjan off the bench, and I think he's probably more of a project player. Yeah. Uh, or you try to slide out, you know, a Langier or a Magnuson, which I I just I don't feel good about that at all. <laughs> and I don't not that I'm a the world's biggest Peyton Fears fan, but like I'm well, open to. Did Donovan, Donovan
1: play some tackle too? Like they move guys around the position flex- flexibility just in case. I... I mean,
2: I think it was out of <laughs> necessity. Oh, it's not guy. ideal. I mean, I'm pretty sure Jordan Morgan with a team with depth wouldn't have been playing half of the games last year, yeah. right? But, yeah. like, him at 60% was better than the next best option. And I don't think it's uh, – I don't I think the depth is better to, in that regard where, you know, maybe it's Jordan Morgan needs to be at 80% before he, uh, you know, decides to go sit a game out. But, you know, I feel pretty good about the depth at the interior with JT Hand. I think Magnuson and Lange, you know, there's enough flexibility there. But, yeah, I get I get real concerned if, if, if something happens at the tackles. But as I joked about with, with Brian, if, if Jaden Delore is healthy, he seems to be at his best when he's flushed from the pocket. So, like, we just got him right where we want him. The speed yeah. rushers beating our tackles and JDL on the rollout. Uh,
1: I do wonder how many programs have, you know, two or three good tackles. You know, that's like, it's a, not. I mean, that's fair. It's a tough position to find. It's, that's not to say could it couldn't be a problem for Arizona because the uh, next time they have good luck will be the first time. But, you know, it's. Yeah, it could come up, but hopefully it's not an issue. Brett, that kind of wraps up our office side. We did quarterbacks, running backs, and receivers last week. Let's go to the defensive line now. Let's switch sides of the ball here. What do you say? We'll stick on the lines, you know. Arizona's defensive line lost some players. Sure good players. Some good players, guys who were solid. Like the defensive line was good last year. <laughs> they actually got to the quarterback and everything. They they weren't bad under Don Brown's defense. It's going to be different now with Johnny Nansen, like what they try to do, what they need. But you look at like a Jalen Harris, a Keon Bars, Paris Shand, not bad. Hunter Eccles has been a star of camp. Uh, Brian mentioned him. It seems like there's production there, you know, and then when you have guys like J.B. Brown, who was one of their best linemen a few seasons ago, you know, you bring in Savea, like a highly rated transfer. We have Jason Harris, who's a highly regarded recruit who transferred to Arizona. It does, and then Deuce Davis, also who's been someone who's been brought up quite a bit as maybe finding a role as a true freshman. Like it seems like there's options and talent, and I'm not too worried about the front line, like the defensive line.
2: I I think that. The defensive line, as a as a collective, might be the second best position group in terms of talent and depth behind the wide receiver room on the whole roster, in my opinion. I don't know yeah. if there's the star power there. Maybe maybe Keon Bars or if if you know Hunter Echols or Jalen Harris can live up to their potential. Um, but yeah, you got guys that are you know there's there's depth there. I don't even know if you, did you mention Tank Wilson? Like I didn't. Gonna, know. Uh that's another guy. And like I mean, Jason Harris was a four star recruit coming out of high school, went to Colorado and transferred to Arizona. I don't. I don't know if he's going to sniff the field this year, right? Um, because there is so much depth. Whereas, you know, in the last couple of years, he probably would have. Uh, and you know, the the thing I may be most curious to see once once the the lights come on in a in a real game is Hunter Echols was a guy U of A tried to recruit out of high school, went to USC, played some, but not you know did, didn't really make a name for himself. But partial, how much of that is also like when your your depth chart is full of four and five stars, it's mm-hmm. probably harder to different you know. It's hard to differentiate, Um, you know, every all words, all all words coming out of the reporters are saying that Hunter Echols has looked pretty darn good in the camp. And can he can he duplicate that when it's when it's real? Right. Yeah. Can he get to the
1: quarterback in games that count against other teams? Yeah.
2: If if you have him and Jalen Harris, who I think Jalen Harris should be at a minimum serviceable to potentially, you know, his potential is through the roof. His potential is NFL. Right. But he's never quite been able to translate it on, into production. Like he had a pretty good year last year, but it didn't necessarily show up in numbers. And then you've got the guys up the middle that are pretty darn good. And then, you know, there's there's been playing around talking, playing around with a, a, a five one five dime package with five D linemen. I'm guessing that's probably Deuce Davis as a pass rush specialist where he's he's probably a little skinny for what he needs to be. But like
1: like an every it, down roll. Yeah.
2: Yeah, but if he can be just the guy that goes and gets after the quarterback, it's you know I'm 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 really intrigued to see what this what this unit's going to do because there's so much depth there. They're going to rotate guys. They basically have like six starters. Mm-hmm. Like realistically, it seems and, to be that
1: way. Which and, God, this seems eight, so like optimistic, but there's proven production there, and the different type of defense too. And the one thing, it's kind of similar to how the offensive line, if the receivers do their job well, the quarterbacks do their job, the offensive line looks better. If Hunter Eccles comes in and is effective, that opens things up for a Jalen Harris or for a Deuce Davis on the other side. You know, if you have players who offenses have to pay attention to in their blocking schemes, that opens up opportunities for, you know, one-on-one blocking assignments for a lot of these other players to go win in. And I think Jalen Harris had, what, four sacks last season, which wasn't bad. Like, he's been solid, but... What can he do with Hunter Echols on the other side? If Hunter Echols is continue translates what he's done in camp to the games, because the talent is there, you know, and the experience too. Hunter Echols been in college for a while. You know, this oh, isn't yeah. a true freshman. And then, did you mention like Sterling Lane, who <laughs> you know, like who's a highly rated recruit? Like there is, there's guys who like Kian Bars. Parrishan, I guess, is a veteran. Hunter Eccles is a veteran. You know, Jalen Harris is a veteran. Even J.B. Brown's a veteran. Then you have some of the younger players like Savaille, who transferred over from UCLA, like Sterling Lane, like a Deuce Davis, who can probably contribute this season, but they're not relied on in Week One, which yeah. is great. You know, because part of like, same in the offensive line. Why you want to have veterans? Because they're bigger. You don't like, like Big Jonah is a he's a revelation. You know, be a guard who's just monster. He's a big. He's he's a man. You know? But in, in the trenches you need strength, you need quickness and you need like you need experience. And Arizona has that at least at the first tarp in the depth chart, right? Like at you know, D E one if they call it that, you know, NT one. Like where they're gonna have their top four or five guys have experience. And the other ones, they don't have experience but they have plenty of talent and potential. So if they can bring them along slowly, like you mentioned, they're gonna rotate, what, six, seven, eight guys, that's ideal. Keep them fresh. And just watch them play off each other. Like, yeah, if Eccles is that good at getting to the quarterback, then Jalen Harris is going to have a much better season. He's going to get more sacks. know, uh, it's going to work out a lot better for everyone else if he can do that. But it goes for all of them. Everyone, if any one of these guys can be an impact player from their position, it's going to make life easier for
2: everyone else on that side of the ball. Well, and one of those guys that you mentioned there that could be an X factor, you know, speaking of quickness, size, and, and experience – you know, J.B. Brown, as you know, entering year nine in the program, it feels <laughs> like, uh, you know, people forget that he basically stepped away from the team uh, for, like, personal reasons, I think. is I, I don't know if we ever got the full story there, but, like, you know, J.B. Brown is the guy that was, I just looked it up, he was literally class of 2017 in high school. <laughs> um, I remember when he opted out last season,
1: I assumed he was because he was going to transfer. He played in four games and he wanted to make sure he was eligible, and he didn't transfer. Well,
2: I think I think he had a kid, and yeah, uh, yeah. That's that's my my guess on it. But like, you know, he was a, came in as a middle linebacker that ate his way into a defensive tackle. Relatable. Um, <laughs> you know, been there. Um, but you know, he's a guy that ha- has that quickness of a linebacker, but the size of a lineman now, and the flexibility to play on the on the edge or or you know at the tackle spot on passing downs, and like him and Keon bars up the middle on passing downs are gonna. Are going to disrupt what the interior line are going to do, and you're not going to be able to double team uh, Eccles or or Harris or or Deuce Davis on the outside if the if the tackles can pr- can produce pressure up the middle. Mm-hmm. Like that's a that's a sneaky big value add, uh, and and Harris can uh, he can play any of those positions, so that inherently adds depth. You know, I think people forget about him, but I think he could end up being a pretty critical guy on the roster this year.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, one thing I tell you, like like with Jalen Harris especially, is that. He's been around so long, he wants to keep playing.
2: Like he could have gone He could have gone
1: pro and found his way into a camp. You know, with his size, he was fairly productive last season. He would have made it to a camp and given, got him a shot. But he's like, I'm going to come back. Maybe just so I can play a little more season with his brother, with Jason. But the Harrises or the Harai, or meese as <laughs> it is in plural, <laughs> like, they could be impact players for this team. And it's just, they're going to have that rotation. They're going to have... You know, guys subbing in, subbing out. But it's not like it was in the past where who they're bringing is like walk-ons. Or players like they're just getting them out there just because. Like these are players who are probably going to warrant some snaps. And if Jason Harris is on the field getting a few snaps instead of Hunter Eccles and keeping Eccles fresh for the fourth quarter, you know, where Arizona wore down quite a bit last season, that's going to make a big difference. You know, if J.B. Brown is rotating in, you know, that makes a big difference. Deuce Davis is playing 15, 20 snaps a game, mostly in a go-get-the-quarterback-type of role on passing downs, obvious passing downs. Like, that makes a difference for this team. So, yeah, I I don't think we're looking at it. To your point, you said earlier that you think the defensive line might have the best depth chart, like, best room outside of wide receiver for this team. I'm not going to argue with that statement. Just the mix of star potential. Like, the only thing they don't have is, like, the proven star, like a Jacob Cowling. Otherwise, there are players who could easily reach that level, and if they don't reach that level, you feel good that they're going to be solid contributors. You know, productive players, and that's what you need at that position.
2: Yeah, and I, I I agree with everything you said, and that's why I would put them second best in the room. I think Keon Bars has a chance to be a star as much as you can be at the defensive tackle spot, and then you know Harrison Echols could put up big numbers this year, or they could bluntly just disappoint. Right? Mm-hmm. We just don't we just don't know, but. Overall, you know, I feel really good about the room, which is, you know, something that I would not have said about an Arizona Wildcat football team, you know, three, four years ago for about the prior eight.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, as we keep doing, I think we're going to do We wanna do special teams today or keep it on. Let's let's do special teams. Let's let's keep the good times going, right? You know, we'll we'll finish it up with a a smaller room. But, you know, punter Kyle Ostendorp, he was great last season. Like really turned himself into a, like arguably the best punter in the Pac-12 and one of the best in the country. Yeah, he's no I, punt I, god, but he was pretty damn good.
2: He he, you know, it was curious when he was given a scholarship out of high school, which is rare for kickers and specialists. Um, but boy, and he he didn't look great his first year. Nope. But he last year he 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 turned himself into a, a weapon and a, and a and a serious tool for the for the roster and. Yeah. When you're when you're now going to be competitive in more games, the ability to have an effective punter can really be the difference between winning and losing a lot of those close games. Mm-hmm. So assuming he doesn't take any kind of step back,
1: punter Arizona has they're elite there. Like that's just terrific. Like you don't want your punter to be one of your best players, you know, because you don't want to see him yeah. too often. But to your point, like how many safeties did Arizona have last year? Like two or three safeties coming off of punts. You know, that were down within like the three yard line. Like oh, that's yeah. what can happen with you flip the field like that. So Kyle Ostendorp Great. Feel totally comfortable there. Tyler Loop is going to be the kicker this year, the full-time kicker. He's not going to be splitting time with Lucas Haversick. And Loop didn't miss a kick last year. I was reading an article. I think it was Michael Ever wrote it in the Arizona Daily Star. But how he has to learn to deal with a miss. Like he would miss a kick in practice and he would just get so pissed he would just wreck him because he didn't miss any kicks last season. Like he's going to miss kicks. It's going to happen. He's a kicker. But I am curious to see him as like, I mean, mean, you're not expecting these guys to make 40-yard plus with regularity. If they can great, and Lucas Haversick didn't make them with regularity, but hoping Arizona doesn't need to kick too many fifty yard field goals. you know because I think Luke has the leg, but you know he's got accuracy, which is
2: nice yeah and I think there's a misconception that because Luke was like the short kick specialist compared to Haversick that he doesn't have the leg for the longer kicks, and I think that was more a Lucas haversick had a ridiculous you know a ridiculously strong leg more than loop did because i remember i i sat at the at in the wonderful weather in in pullman before that that whiteout game um loop was banging 60 plus yard uh attempts before the him and him, him and Haversick were just going back and forth and they were just crushing the ball and with with good accuracy so i you know i don't think i i think people that think that he doesn't have the leg are mistaken we'll see how accurate he is as he gets those in in games because he hasn't I don't think he's had a punt attempt in a real game or a kick attempt uh, beyond, what, 40, 40 yards maybe? Um, I, I can't remember what the numbers were for last year, but another spot where I feel pretty good about it, but the the truism of college football, don't trust, uh, you know, don't leave the game in the hands of your, or in the feet, as it were, of your, <laughs> of your kicker, uh, but also you feel about as good as you could about, you know, the, the specialists on the roster.
1: Yeah, yeah, the kickers you feel quite good about just because there's experience. Like in loop, he hasn't had to make that game-winning field goal. There wasn't really any opportunity for that last season <laughs> to even try. So if it comes down to that where you know, Arizona is down by two, you know, they got the ball at the 22-yard line you know, and one play left, we'll see. You know, but I'm confident enough that he has the talent to make that kick because he showed his accuracy last season. You know, he he was good in the role he had. Now, can he take the next step and be the full-time kicker? Can he make that game-winning field goal? Can he make that 52-yarder at the end of the first half? You know, something like that. And we'll see. But then to that article's point, too, can he deal with missing a kick? You know, because you just got to make the next one then. Like, it's going to happen. And, like, just because you missed the extra point or you missed that 23-yarder in the second quarter doesn't mean you're not going to be relied on to make the 44-yarder in the fourth. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like, it's similar to a punter. You don't want it to come down to any of these guys. But you feel really good when you have quality there. Because no one ever says, oh, they won that game because of the punter. But you sometimes <laughs> like, oh, that was it. He shanked that one, and that cost him. You no know, one ever says, I guess when the kicker makes a game-winning field, they say, oh, the kicker won the game. It's never about the kicker. yeah. But when they're called upon, if they can do their job and do it well, then you're in really good shape. Um, where there are questions, and we brought this up a little bit earlier, Brett, is in the return game. Um, in terms of punt returns and kick returns. There's no Tavian Cunningham. There's no Stanley Berryhill. Guys who were obviously in the last couple of years were their return people, but there seems to be a lot of options this season. I know Jacob Cowing has been mentioned as a punt returner and I can see why because he's such a good player. You want to get the ball in his hands. But part of me is like the bubble wrap thing, right? <laughs> like, like if you can't if you can't give him the ball enough offensively, then you're doing something wrong. Can I put it that well, way? Is that does that make I, sense? So-
2: yeah. No, I, I hear what you're saying, but I think the main argument for putting him in the punt returner spot is less about getting the ball in his hands to see what he can, you know, break loose. I think in that position, you need a guy that has the best hands to not muff it. Okay. So kind of like the
1: Barry Hill thing, why he was back there. Exactly. No.
2: You know? Um, so like, I understand that cause like a large percentage of the time, he's probably going to fair catch it. Right. Um, or at least a significant percentage, and it's not quite the kamikaze mission that it is on kick returns. If we're giving him, if we're giving him kick returns, um, <laughs> I will write a strongly worded letter lit only by natural light to Coach Jed Fish. Um, <laughs> you know, because that's just that's that's a, there's there's a better chance of injury just crazy high impact plays, right? Uh, well, there's
1: usually touchbacks too on kickoffs. Like, there's not a lot of returns. Yeah, but
2: when there's a return, it's yeah, it's, it tends to be a violent play. Um, and so that's that's the best argument for cowing. I I would prefer to not have him be back there because I think he's going to be so essential on offense, but I just don't know like the hands of some of these other guys like, you know, one a name we haven't heard a lot out of camp which is mildly disappointing is like G7 Celestine like I could see him being an interesting like punt returner if he has the hands but I just don't know if he does maybe that's why he plays on defense <laughs> kind of thing
1: <laughs> yeah it's um, not uncommon for like defensive backs or receivers to be punt returners just because in theory they grand I mean, people the old joke is like you a know, receiver like defensive backs are receivers with bad hands you know, Yeah, they have everything else but yeah Celestine seems like he would be an option in these roles uh, Kevin Green Jr. with his speed seems like he'd be an option in these roles. Anthony Simpson, of course, who's basically a receiver, running back type, a hybrid player, would seem like a fit for one of these roles. Dorian Singer, too. Although he's not as fast, he's got good hands. So I, I guess I understand your point where Cowan is like the safe guy in theory. Just fair catch the ball, you know, get out of the way, don't muff it, just let the offense take over. But he's going to have to return some.
2: Probably. <laughs> and I'm not
1: saying keep you like Anybody can get hurt in any given play. I understand this. It's like, oh, as long as he doesn't return punts, he'll stay healthy all season. I get that. But I do wonder, just like, it might be somewhat situational, too. Like, it could be the type of thing where in the first through third quarters, you know, that's the big return. If you're if the defense sticks them deep in the other team's zone, you know, and they're going to be returning the punt from, like, the 45-yard line, then maybe you put a cowing out there. It's like, oh, so you can bust this one and take it back to the house. Whereas maybe other situations, you go with one of the other players and just be like, okay, whatever. You know, right. as long as they can catch the ball, but that's going to be—I mean—it's a position battle that we can't really watch too much. We don't know who they're going to put out there until the first punt is—you know—first punt happens or until the opening kickoff. But it does seem like they have some solid options in the return game, with Jacob Cowing probably being the leading contender.
2: Yeah, and the name we haven't mentioned yet, and I don't know if he'd be—he might be the occasional punt returner. To your point, also, but I would think is the front runner for a kick return is Rayshon Speedy Luke.
1: Yeah, you would think.
2: You know, he seems like the ideal kick returner. The only reason to not want to put him back there is because of that injury risk, right? Um, um, his but his speed also, and slipperiness, yeah, if you, I, if, I mean, if you if you get any kind of hole for him, you're going to return some kicks for touchdown, yeah. right? Um, he, to, You know, to fully, uh, you know unleash his speed i think it makes more sense to put him on a kickoff return rather than a punt return mm-hmm. um just because i think he's more of a i mean he's slippery like you said but i think his his absolute best asset is just straight line well, you get more head of steam
1: with on a kick return than you will on a punt yeah
2: yeah so you know that i would not be surprised if he's at least one of the guys back there for that um and maybe and maybe it's he's deployed you know when hey we need to get uh, we need to have a good return here or you put him out there when it's more likely uh, than not that it's going to actually be returned and not just a touchback because most, you know, they've, where they've moved the kickoff spot, there's a lot more touchbacks on kickoffs than there used to be, you know, five, 10 years ago. Um, But, you know, maybe there's a a strategic deployment of him kind of like it would be on offense. Uh, But other than that, you know, like who are you looking at on, on the, on the kick returns? Like Anthony Simpson, maybe?
1: Yeah, and it's 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 tough, right? Because we're not watching these guys, but you know there's speed. You know there's hands and like with kick returns, it's like with kick returns is just speed and maybe ability to break tackles and kind of see the field, see where the hole is. Punt return obviously the hands make the most like you need to be able to catch the ball. Like so I they're different roles, but I do think someone like a G seven or like a singer, or like a Kevin Green, would seem to profile in that role as a kick return or like a speedy Luke too, guys who get the ball in their hands and let them go you know, see what they can do with it. They're big, they're fast. But to that, like you were saying too, like, yeah, there's not as many kick return opportunities in college today. And there's really not a ton of, I mean, there's more punt return opportunities, but there's more that usually could go wrong on a punt return than a kick return. Knock on what, of course, I going to fumble like the opening kickoff probably. But, you know, <laughs> like they're different roles, but they're what you want out of them kind of can profile similarly. And ideally they, someone rises to the top and becomes like that stud kick returner. Because those, cause where do I want a punt, returner or a punt a punter can flip the field and make a big difference. Obviously having Haversick booting balls out of the end zone was good too. But if you have a good punt return, if you have a good kick return, I forget where Arizona was starting most of their drives last season. I think it was one of the worst in the country. Like their average drive was like at the 20 yard line or something like that. You know, just bad. Like but if you have good punt returns, if you have good kick returns and you're getting to the thirty yard line, the thirty-five, you know, it makes your offensive job a lot easier. And then if you offense struggles it puts the defense in a better spot, so they are important roles, even if they're not totally settled. But I do feel okay
2: about the the possibilities that Arizona has at each of those spots. Yeah, I, th- I think that's I think that's right. I think there's been talk of like Jackson Turner and Isaiah Taylor, uh, or, uh, or or um, who's the corner? Um, there's there's a corner I'm blanking on. Um, Isaiah, Isaiah Mays, I think oh, Mays. one of the guys they've been looking at. Um, you know, I don't. I don't think our safeties are that fast. I, <laughs> you know, May, Mays maybe could be a guy. I think he was a guy that's pretty, pretty darn fast, um, you know, or just say, screw it and put a uh, big Jonah back there to return. kicks. Might like, be a
1: way to get Drake Anderson, some touches too. That's actually, you
2: know? I, I like that call. Actually, he'd be a good, especially on kick returns. I think that would make a
1: lot of It sense. feels like it. But again, we're not, we don't know what they're doing in practices, but they have options, which yeah. is nice. And, one guy we didn't talk to about on special teams, which is a good thing, is Seth McKeller, he's the long snapper. Whatever. Like they like it when you don't talk about them. You want know, anyone know who they don't want people to know who they are. So Seth McKellar,
2: sorry I mentioned your name on the show to wrap things up here, but you know. The, you're fine. The best long snappers are anonymous and unnoticeable. <laughs> yep. But we are talking about the depth on special teams and depth chart, so he is the long snapper. So there, there you go. There we go. No analysis needed.
1: No notes. Just <laughs> just that. <laughs> So, but I think that wraps up our depth chart for this week. Of course, next week we'll get into the linebackers. We'll get into the secondary. And I don't know if we do a coaching staff depth chart. That just seems excessive. But, <laughs> you know, we are, Jed Fish is the head coach <laughs> behind him.
2: Is, put a, put a, add a, Place all of our coaching staff and training staff into uh, the football depth chart and which position they'd be at. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tyler, Tyler Owens at, at middle linebacker. <laughs> Fallback. Oh, I like it.
1: Yeah, yeah. But uh, I think next week we'll try to bring another guest on to talk about camp. Of course, again, we're two weeks away. The Arizona has their uh, nighttime game, your know, mock game, is this Saturday on the twentieth down at Arizona Stadium, and the season opener is two weeks from today, two weeks from Saturday, September third at San Diego State. So it's it's getting closer, man. We we are almost there to. Another Arizona football season. But I think that I think that about does it for us today. I don't I th- think there's anything else really, is there?
2: No, I think that I think that's it. All I promised football. an all
1: football show and I'm gonna give it to you. So we have that going for us. Uh, thanks again to Brian Peterson of AZ Desert Storm for joining us and sharing his thoughts on what he's seen from Arizona so far in camp. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at Wildcat Radio A Z is the handle. We'll probably do a mailbag eventually, but of course if you have any questions or want us to talk about something Hit us up there. Let us know, and we'll see if we can get to it on that week's show. Of course, you can find us on Spotify, on iTunes. Subscribe to us on both of those platforms. And if you're on iTunes, make sure you give us a rating and a review. We will read that review on the show because we we just need it. We crave feedback. We do. Positive, negative. As long as it's feedback, we're good with it. So make sure you do that. But otherwise, yeah, we'll, we'll catch you next week where there will be one week Until oh god, it's it's almost here, man! Like so excited. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, we'll catch y'all next week. Thanks for listening. And until then, remember to bear down.
2: Bear down.